This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, is that movie still good? Today, we're going to metaphorically go back, dig through the CD case, pull out that favorite CD from college, drop it in the five-disc changer, and see if it can still make you dance. And we are going back to our college era, 1993's film Dave, for today's episode. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy as we discuss Dave. Welcome back, friends. This is Is That Movie Still Good? Um, Before we get rolling today on 1993's Dave, I want to thank everybody who's listened and give a couple of requests. We are now on iTunes, so you can find us there, the number one podcast platform. So if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, download, rate, review, tell your friends uh, so that we can continue doing what we're doing. Um, But we appreciate all the support we've gotten so far. Now, without further ado, 1993's Dave. Nate, do you remember seeing this one the first time? Uh, Well, yeah. I don't think I saw it at the theater. But I do remember this one. I think I might have only seen it one time, though. But according to you know, a friend, they told me that I liked it. They remembered more about what I thought about the movie than I remember yeah. about it. So, uh, and, and I'll be honest, Jim, you know, when you, when because this one was your idea when you first mentioned it, I was a little hesitant because I was like, yeah, you know, what do I remember about this movie? It doesn't have any like huge blockbuster stars in it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad you did because I, I enjoyed kind of the blast from the past. Yeah, this is one that. When I was in college around this time, um, we went to see movies all the time, and it was not uncommon for, on a Friday release night, uh, after our 11 o'clock class in the morning, somebody go buy tickets and we go watch the movie at night. Now, this wasn't one that we did for release day, but did go see that. this one. I remember seeing it in the theater. remember thinking it was pretty good, but I hadn't seen it since then. Um, so, you know, and the first thing I took from this comedy drama situation was it wasn't as funny as I remembered it. I thought it was more funny than it actually was. It ends up being a little bit more of that sort of dramatic movie, but still lighthearted. Well, and that's Kevin Klein's MO. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, all the movies that he's done that he's been a part of, not all of them, but a lot of the movies, he's just that kind of lighthearted character, um, you know, the every guy Mm -hmm. that people you just like, you gravitate towards. He's a solid actor. He's not the most dramatic, intensive Oscar type caliber person, but he's, he's enjoyable to watch. Um, and, and I, and I think that's what you kind of get through this whole movie. And of course, you know, they use them in two different roles, right? Right. You know, so you get a double mm-hmm. dose of them. And, and as the movie starts out, and if you don't know much about this movie, it, it's about uh, the president of the United States and the original president is this really kind of jerk. Right. Okay. And then um, played by Kevin Klein. And then Dave, mm-hmm. the title character, is also played by Kevin Klein. And he uh, runs a temp agency and he does presidential impersonations. Right. And not, and not really good ones either. No, we're introduced <laughs> to him as the president riding a pig at some kind of used car lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the, the, new, the new car dealership opened up. And, and even there's like a mom and a daughter of the scene. And the kid asked the mom, Is that the real president? And she was like, No. I hope not. <laughs> No, but you know who was also in the audience at that car dealership scene was Ving Rhames. Yes, um, as a Secret Service agent and some other dude that was a Secret Service agent that I have no idea and didn't even bother to look at. Right, right, right. And, and apparently they they were looking out looking for a presidential uh, a stand-in, a stand-in right? right, right, yeah, right. right. Because uh, the real president, uh, Bill Mitchell, is the character's name. Yep. Uh, is this complete jerk of a guy, and he wants a stand-in so that uh, uh, he he can have. 
the, the stand-in walk, walk through the crowd, so it looks like he's leaving while he's um, in another hotel room with his mistress, which I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, how did Clinton not come up with this? <laughs> or did he? <laughs> or did he? He might have. He might have. But, you know, we'll never know because there's so many things about that, that administration that uh, never came out. But, you know, maybe there was a Clinton uh, impersonator. And it makes you wonder, you know, do, have presidents really done this before? Right, right. Because, I mean, obviously, Kevin Klein looks like Kevin Klein. Yes. But I think, I think, and, and people have doppelgangers, but I, I think people would notice the difference. Of course. Of yeah, course. I, I don't think you could really get away with this in, in real life, at least not. Well, you definitely couldn't in today's world with media and cameras everywhere. Maybe mm-hmm. Nixon could have gotten away with it. Who knows? That's right. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, and, it, and it's funny the contrast between the president, uh, Mitchell, and like we were talking about, you know, I, I, there's a scene like right in the beginning where he's talking to his cabinet. And he says something, and you know he's like, I, you know, I don't want to be the jerk. You guys be the jerks, or something like that. Right. And then when he first meets um, Kevin Klein or meets Dave, uh, he says something like, uh, "Oh, you're you're a real handsome man, but you're a slob." Or something. <laughs> you look like a schmuck. Yeah, you know, he has lose yeah. a smile. Yeah. You look like a schmuck. And, and it was funny because you know Ivan Reitman directed this movie, and it, I think that he tried a little bit too hard to make Dave sloppy. If, if you remember in the beginning of the scene, it's like he's walking around with his pants tucked into a yes, sock. Yes. Yes. So you know, and. and- what was that thing he was wearing? Was that a sweater? Was it a sweatshirt? Was it just some super fancy sweatshirt that was? Exp- I don't even know. What I, that I, was. I, don't, I don't even know. And I, I, don't, I don't think they make garments like that anymore. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> um, yeah. So you, you got Kevin Klein in this. Yep. Okay. So and, and, and you got Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, who's but, great. Now I'm going to let's do a quick trivia question before we get into okay. all the actors. So this movie had three actors who won Academy Awards. Can you name them? Well, Sigourney Weaver's won an Academy Award, hasn't she? Well, she's been nominated. Incorrect. Okay, she, all right, I don't think, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein won, won for, for Fish Called Wanda. Wanda. Yep, he won for Fish Called Wanda. Um, now, Frank Langella, I already say his name, he's been nominated, but I don't think he's won. Incorrect, right, correct. The other, the other, the second one, the, the second one is Ben Kingsley of course, for Gandhi. Of course, of course. And the third one I'm going to hold until later. Okay. Is it like Bonnie Hunter? Or, it's, it, the uh, third one's good. The third one we're going to get to later. Okay. All right. Um, and if you tell me Charles Grodin, I'm, I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> yes. All right. I give up. He didn't win for Beethoven? <laughs> well, we made it for Beethoven too. Oh, that was <laughs> yeah, a good yeah, one. Yeah. That was, that was a good one. But yeah. So it, it does have a pretty interesting cast. A, a lot of career character actors like a Charles Grodin. Here's, here's something crazy about Charles Grodin. You know, old he is like now in 2018 uh, uh old uh, he's, he's 83 yeah i had no right. idea the guy I, was that old but uh you know he has this and, and here's a here's another interesting fact about this movie there's at least two charles grown being one mm-hmm. obviously and then frank langella being the other one uh that have been in muppet movies Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So this might be our first uh, kind of crossover into the Jim Henson Muppet. Muppet yes, yes. So, but uh, so what? What did you think of the cast? Uh, how, how did they? Come so for you? I'll tell you. I, I walked in on this movie. Um, the last twenty minutes of it one night, uh, right before I recommended or suggested that we do this, and I thought, man. This cast is awesome. There's tons of people in this because there's Kevin Klein, there's Sigourney Weaver, there's Franklin Gala, there's Ben Kingsley, there's Laura Linney, um, it, Ving Rhames is in this. It's a fantastic cast of people who are not like, you know, like we said, a couple of Oscar um, yeah. winners, and then, uh, uh, but but really good. And there actually were, uh, in addition to the three who've won Oscars. There are other actors that have been nominated, including Sigourney Weaver, Franklin Gala, Jason Reitman uh, is in this in a small role. Um, Laura Linney has been nominated, mm-hmm. and Gary Ross, who is the uh, 
uh, screenwriter for this. He wrote this. He was nominated for Best Original Screenplay for this film, and he has a small role in this movie as a Secret Service agent or a police officer or something yeah. like that. Well, he's actually done a lot of movies. I mean, he wrote Big. He wrote Mr. Baseball, Pleasantville, Seabiscuit. Uh, I think he did the first Hunger Games. He did. Yeah, uh, Ocean's uh, 8 last year. Yeah, Philadelphia he wrote. Yeah. In the Line of Fire, he wrote that one, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Clint Eastwood. That's a good yes, movie. That's, yeah. yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, so you, know, you got a you got a pretty you know it's it's a big collection of like a lot of Hollywood. You know, I mentioned earlier Ivan Reitman directed it, and of course you know he's known for kind of more of the like comedy stuff, the Animal House, Ghostbusters, those types of movies. But you know, obviously a seasoned director, he done a lot of stuff. You have a really good writer, you have a really good cast. You know, Bonnie Hunt was in this, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting because this was her third movie, and of course she has a real small role in this, right? But but she was also in Beethoven. With the, and Beethoven too with Charles Grodin. <laughs> so everybody Hunt and Charles Grodin like like worked together for like three years. Right. You know, yeah. But uh, so so th- what happens and how this movie kind of gets started? You know, you have the president, you have Dave the impersonator, and as you mentioned at one of these events, uh, the real president's with Laura Lenny, mm-hmm. his mistress. Yeah, she's a secretary or something, but they're um, seeing each other on the side. So here, here's something kind of weird. This is the first thing that popped in my head when they go to the the mistress scene mm-hmm. when they're in the hotel. Is I watched Ozarks earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. So I think I've had I've seen Laura Lenny have sex with like three different guys in the last four months. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, um, and bad things typically happen to all of That's, them. It, yeah, it's <laughs> not real good. She's kind of the kiss of death. <laughs> she is the kiss of death in, in, in movie in movie affairs. But uh, but so while they're having them doing their thing, the real president strokes out. Mm-hmm. Major big stroke. And Frank Langella, who's the chief of staff, and he's kind of a big old jerk in his own right too. Instead of Doing the right thing because the president, you know, he can't run the country anymore. He and he, he doesn't want the VP Ben Kingsley to take over, so they decide to make Dave a permanent presidential imposter. Right, and right. so that's really where the movie kind of starts to take off. And like, um, like, fancies himself the puppet master here. We're going to prop Dave up here. We're going to make him look like the president. But I'm going to pull the strings because I have presidential aspirations, and he does play this um, stereotypical bad politician, ambitious politician, and uh, so he he's got his eye on the presidency. And I'm just going to run this with Dave. Yeah, yeah, and 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 well, you know, the whole big plan, I think, um, and I, it's pretty easy to figure out. I don't think it was a big mystery. Was he actually starts setting up the savings and loan scandal that he's going to try to stick to the VP? Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the real president's completely incapacitated. He gets Dave in there as an impersonator for a while. The VP gets in trouble. Then he moves up into VP. And right. then he somehow gets rid of Dave. And then, you know, he, he moves up to president. Yeah, he's working a big, long game on that. He, he is. He is. And, you know, and we'll see how it works out. It's funny because they this, you, you, when this announcement happens, you get this typical kind of late 80s, early 90s super montage of Dave learning what it's like to right, be president. Right, right, right. He's got the presidential flow chart behind him at one point. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, and like, here's, here's all the different like cabinet members yeah, and yeah. How, how many you know, <laughs> seats are in the house and all that kind of fun stuff. And then they show him like, you know, with kids and dignitaries and going to factories and, you know, throwing out the first pitch at a baseball game. He even hangs out with Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. out of school. Yeah, he, the, the factory scene quickly because he, he, he goes into this factory and there's these robotic arms and he's ugh. making them go around. And then he starts singing Louie Louie and doing his thing with the arms. What president in real life do you think is most likely to sing Louie Louie to factory? Wow, that's a tough question. I, I, I don't think there is one. <laughs> I mean, I think the easy answer is Clinton, but I think... Yeah. But, but 
but don't overlook W because that guy was fun at parties. Oh yeah, W would have done it. Yeah, W. Yeah. yeah, he was a fun president. Whether you whether you like what he whether you like what he did from an administrative standpoint or not, he was a pretty fun guy. Uh, and and we start getting also around this time of the movie all these cameos. It's like they they bring in you know the the people from the news and politics show. Jay Leno is doing the Tonight Show yeah. and doing like a, a, in his monologue he's doing something about how you know the president's all new and revived and you know the the near death experience has really changed this guy and he's a really nice guy now. And and at the end I actually did when they showed the credits I counted how many cameos there were. Mm-hmm. You want to take a guess? Twenties at least. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. It's a it's a it's a cavalcade because they had um, like you said, media people, Leno, uh, John McLaughlin, they did McLaughlin Group, they had Evans and Novak going at it talking about it. Um, real senators, real politicians. Tip O'Neill for crying out loud is in this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now I guess he would have been retired by then. Correct. Yeah, yeah, because obviously he wasn't the uh, speaker. But um, so 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 we start slowly getting introduced to Sigourney Weaver too as the first lady, and what mm. we find out very quickly is that the first lady and the real president really don't didn't get along. He's right. Set separate bedrooms. Didn't want to spend a lot of time. Maybe an occasional appearance. So she immediately starts kind of seeing this kind of change and who at the time she still thinks it's her husband, but it doesn't take her long to figure it out. But here's where the movie kind of gets a little creepy for me. Uh-huh. And, and they carry this on really to the end is they're kind of romantic interest that builds between fake president and the first lady. Of course. It's like, even you know, they, they paint Dave out to be this like really wholesome, great guy, mm-hmm. but like immediately he's like wanting to like shack up with the first lady. Yeah. It's, like, it's, not, good, it's not good enough <laughs> to get to fake being president, but you want right. the first lady right, to Right, right, right. And that's just, Dave's that's, selfish. Yeah. <laughs> and the scene where he first sees her, I, I, I watched that scene and he looks at her like, Whoa. And I was like, did you remember her from Alien? Did you remember her, uh, you know, from Working Girl? What, what's, what's, what's going through your mind? But yeah, you're right, because it is a kind of a super weird thing where he's attracted to her, and she's attracted to him even though you know, she works through it and gets there. And I, I will say this, this um, it's kind of spinning it forward a little bit. One of the great things about this movie, I think, is it's very classically done in terms of, you know, obviously the trope is there. Uh, of the, the you know the good guy going to Washington and 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 trying to make changes, but one of the the, the kind of the cool old fashioned things about this movie is there's this romantic tension, uh, love interest between them, and they they never do anything until the last scene in the movie when they finally kiss. It's like that final kiss payoff yeah. at the end of the film, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, the other thing that's that's ridiculous about this, uh, like you said, it's creepy that uh, they're attracted to one another, but also think about that in real life, like like okay. Um, Suddenly, there's fake Donald Trump, and Melania falls in love with him again. That's yeah, weird. Yeah, that's super weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very um, kind of unrealistic, but typical Hollywood, especially with this type of movie. You know, it's it's kind of uh, it's 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 very cookie cutter, and obviously, you know, we talked about Gary Ross, the screenwriter, and he's written a lot of successful movies, but you know. The, 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 you have to have the antagonist and the super antagonist and, and the chief of staff and Frank Lagella. You got the guy, Kevin Dunn, who plays, I think the, he's the head of communications for the White House. So him and him and the chief of staff are spending a lot of times, and they're the ones that kind of train Dave to be president. And he, throughout the movie, has kind of a change of heart. So you have that role. Then you have this you know romantic kind of side story going on. Very, you know, following the outline right. you know, of, of a Hollywood movie. And, and I... It's okay, but to me, that sometimes can be like so transparently unoriginal. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't, it's kind of like how 
the you know other than maybe a very few movies it's like the good you always know the good guy's gonna win and the bad guy's gonna die that's right that's it's right. like it kind of kind of okay you knew even though you're correct that they didn't kiss until the very end of the movie, but you knew they were going to. Of course. You, you, know, knew was, it, you know it's coming. You know it's coming, and no surprises there. Yes. But it's it's, it's funny, because, you know, she, as the First Lady starts to um, kind of figure things out a little bit, but she's probably still kind of, like, happy that he's, you know, doing things, because he seems to be supporting some of her causes. I think she takes him to a homeless shelter, and... Uh, or a homeless shelter for kids, kids even. Yeah, it's, it's a homeless kids or yeah. something. And, and so there's this big um, bill that they're wanting to pass. And within this bill is money for the homeless shelter. Right. So after they come back from the homeless shelter and the first lady's thinking that now the president supports uh, spending money on a social program like that, doesn't really matter because the chief of staff actually forges the president's signature on a bill that cuts the funding. Right. And so then we get this really awesome scene where Kevin Klein, as, as Dave, is in the shower, mm-hmm. and the first lady just storms in on him when he's in the shower. And we get like awesome 1990s hairy chested, you know, Kevin Klein. Like, you know, so, so what, what, what was it about that period of time where like, you know, we did Burt Reynolds last week. Yes. We always got to see Burt Reynolds hairy chested movies, right, you know, right. you get to Tom Selleck's. And I mean, I, I, it's just, I, I, don't, I, I don't think you get that anymore. And no. I, I'm not saying I want it, but I'm just saying it's just kind of. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the line is. I don't. I don't know what the year was or when that time was where it went from being uh, sexy and manly to have the hairy chest to um, disgusting to have the hairy chest. And we got to get some waxers in here and, and <laughs> get this boy cleaned yes, up. Yes, yes, yeah. So and then you know, and, and they do make it. They do make a joke later in the movie, which I actually thought was kind of subtly funny about yes. when they when they do actually you know when the first lady knows it's not her husband and. You can tell they're starting to like each other, and and Kevin Klein says something like, "Were you able to tell the difference when he saw me in the shower?" Yeah, he said, "When did you know?" And she says something. He's like, "It wasn't the shower." And she said, "No." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But she's, you know, she's really upset because this, you know, this bill, and and Dave doesn't know about the bill either. You know, so he calls his buddy Charles Grodin up, mm-hmm. who I, I guess was maybe his accountant at the temp firm or something right. like that. Right, yeah, he ran some kind of an accounting firm because uh, in one of the early scenes, he takes um, a, a lady who needs a job and she's uh, foreign and she takes him over right. to his um, office and trying to get her get her work with him. So they're good buddies and he's employing half of you know, his half of his staff or all of his staff comes from um, the temp agency that Dave's running. So they go way back. And yeah. so he calls him up because he's the accountant guy. And so he's trying to figure this uh, bill out and, and uh, in classic sort of good guy goes to Washington. Well, how can we cut this to get this money here? Yeah. I think, what was it? 650 million or something, something like, like that. that yeah, yeah. Something like that. They needed to cut and they stay up all night doing it. And, uh, so the next day, they have a, another big cabinet meeting, and Dave invites a bunch of cameras in there, and that's when he makes the announcement that they want to try to save this, you know, find a way to save the six hundred fifty million so they can fund the homeless shelter. And of course, the chief of staffs over there going crazy, mm-hmm. and then we get this kind of the beginning of this, you know, where you, you know that they're going to be fighting each other for the mm-hmm. rest of the movie. Right, over this. that's right. But before we kind of get into all that, let, let's kind of take a step back and kind of talk about some of the bigger picture things um, that go along with this movie. So we mentioned Ivan Reitman before. Yeah. Do you do you have a favorite Ivan Reitman movie? Um, I I do love Ghostbusters an awful lot. That's yeah. that's one of my very favorites. Stripes is awfully good too. Um, those are probably my two favorites. You know, he did uh, Meatballs. He did Private Parts. He yeah. did basically every 
90s Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy from uh, Twins to Kindergarten Cop to Junior, junior all yep, of that yep, stuff. Yep. And, uh, What's yeah, your favorite? Of, yeah, probably Animal House. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, I, mean, yeah, I, know, I know that's the you know cliche answer, but it's probably, probably is. And um, now he also did Heavy Metal. Do you remember Heavy Metal? Vaguely. It was a cartoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I remember, I don't know how I saw that, but it was, it was really kind of almost X-rated too. Mm-hmm. It was like the, it was probably, probably like the, one of the first like kind of anime or anime type movies where it was like, you know, there's kind of a lot of, uh, adult subjects going on. Right, right, within a cartoon, right, 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 right. You know, within a cartoon. And that was early, early eighties. And you mentioned private parts with the, you know, the Howard, Howard Stern, Stern movie mm-hmm. that he did in 97. And really after that, Nothing. 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 Nothing, nothing that anybody watching. needs to look at. It's, <laughs> exactly. It's, so, what is it with these directors? Because we've we've had this we've had this same issue with several of the directors we discussed yeah, already. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they just kind of get to this like, you know, creative peak, and or they get. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's definitely a phenomenon. There. I think that's right. I think it's like that with a lot of uh, people who are in art and things like that. Once you get a little bit older, and um, you 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 kind of I don't know if you become complacent or you, you think you understand what works, but some of the creativity is not there like it is in youth, I think. Yeah, yeah. And and, and here's something that I thought was pretty funny too. Or not funny, but just interesting. So Kevin Klein's my dad's age, born in the same year. Mm-hmm. And then Sigourney Weaver is only six months different from my mom. Uh-huh. So when I realized that, I was like, I'm essentially watching my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's yeah. like, and, and, you know, the, the, this, these are, were, were their, you know, peers or, you know, were their contemporaries. Uh, from an age standpoint, but um, you know, it's so it, it was kind of interesting, um, just kind of like putting that in place. And you know, Kevin Klein, he's kind of had that kind of it's very really both of them. The Scorning Weavers made the comeback with Avatar, but yeah. She did have kind of a window there for a while where where she hadn't really done too many really right, good things. Right, right, no. What would you grade her career though? Everybody knows who she is. Yeah, and she's had some very iconic roles. Well, I think I think for an average person going into, if you wanted to be an actor or an actress, I think you take her career. Like, well, absolutely. You, you, you've got Alien is one of the most iconic movies, you know, of its era. And honestly, Sigourney Weaver in the white T-shirt and and panties is like one of those iconic shots on the screen, right? Yeah. So she's great in that. You know, she's in Ghostbusters. She's had this, you know, really good career. Um, she's not, and I wouldn't call her an elite actress, but she's been good. She's played great roles in some great movies. And like in this movie, she's good. She doesn't have to do a whole lot. Um, she has to look mad a lot, but, but I think both of these characters are really good at playing, uh, or both these actors are really good at playing intellectual characters. Yes. Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver both have done really well with that throughout their career. Yeah, and I mean, she's been no- nominated for three Oscars, mm-hmm. seven Golden Globes. She did win one Golden Globe. She's won a Tony. You know, so she's definitely you know won some good awards. I think her first movie though was Annie Hall, and I haven't seen that in a really long yeah. time. Yeah, and I'd have to watch it again to see what role she had in it. But you know, I would agree with you. And I think you know a career to be proud of. And but I think she's you know she's not. Um, the super leading lady, right? But she makes a film good that she's in. Yes, yes. You she, don't lose anything by having her in. A no, role. not not one bit. And Kevin Klein, he kind of same thing. Like a lot of you know, eighties Sophie's Choice, Big Chill, Silverado, Fish Called Wanda, where mm-hmm. he won his Oscar, and uh, he gets into like Chaplin and even French Kiss in the mid nineties. But kind of after that, he kind of really yeah. doesn't do much. At least anything that's like really rememberable. And then I guess you have to decide, like, if you're a person in this field, like, 
I've made my money. I've got all I need to do to be comfortable. Do I want to keep working and grinding it out? Do I want to be Meryl Streep working and working and working? Or do I want to, you know, just go to the ranch? Well, and you never know what these people are doing, too. I mean, they might, some of the movies that we look at that's in their filmography, we might not recognize, but maybe they produced it. Right. You know, or maybe they wanted to take a stab at writing or directing mm-hmm. and, and it just, you know, it didn't, didn't yeah, work. That's but, right. You know, but, but, you know, a, a lot of these actors have interests beyond just being in front of the camera. Of course. They, they like the other aspects of the, the whole film production. Uh, Frank Langella, the, the, the chief of staff that we've been talking about, and, you know, he was in Muppets Most Wanted, so yes, we already yes. mentioned that. But did you know that he was nominated for a Tony? I did know this. What was the role? I did know he's he's, he's Dracula. Bram Stoker. Oh, that's Dracula. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually was nominated for a Tony for playing Dracula in the I think it was seventy eight, seventy nine. Yeah, and they actually did a seventy nine movie, uh, and he actually plays D- Dracula in the movie too. So here's our second Dracula. Right. And so while we're on this, um, here's our Anthony Hopkins reference of the week. Uh, Anthony Hopkins and Frank Langala both played which former president? In the uh, screen. Nixon. Correct. Richard yes. Nixon. Yes. Uh, Franklin Gala in Frost Nixon, which is uh, excellent. And, uh, of course, Anthony Hopkins in the film called Nixon. Right, right, yeah. Um, he was one of those people. Who did I, when I watched the movie, you know, recently to, for, for this podcast, and I saw him for the first time, and I, I wrote down his name. I'm trying to think of who I wrote down because I... I Redone my notes since then, and I was like completely wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I, I forget who it was. And then when I like actually saw the credits, I was like, "Oh yeah, that guy." <laughs> you know? Well, it's funny because I remember watching that, thinking that was an old dude back then, and I watched this one. I'm like, he, "That's kind of like young Frank Langella or like middle aged Frank." Yeah, Langella, I think he's know? just always looked old. Yeah, I think that's right. He's like Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Kevin Dunn, who I, who I mentioned, played the communications right. guy. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't know what all he's been in. I looked, and not a lot of stuff that you would really find memorable. But he's just, you know, a good little character actor who's made a career. Yeah, he's recognizable, except then you look at his filmography, and you're like, I, I, I think I've seen him in other stuff, but I guess I'm thinking of somebody else. <laughs> right, exactly. But he, they, him, so Dunn, Langella, and Sigourney Weaver were all in 1992's, so the movie before... Uh, 1492 Conquest of Paradise. Right, that's right. That's which right. I don't ever, I never saw. It. I don't know what it's about. I'm assuming it's about Christopher Columbus. Yeah. But yeah, so they were all in that movie together. And then, um, you know, we mentioned Ben Kingsley, but he had such a small role in this movie. I, I, and he, you could talk probably about Ben Kingsley for an hour, so we'll skip over him. And then, of course, Ving Rhames, I think most people know from like Pulp Fiction. Right, and, correct. Um, the, the Don King movie. And of course, he is the voice of Arby's. We have the meat. <laughs> exactly. Which, that's probably a really good gig. Of course it is. <laughs> I mean, he probably gets paid a couple hundred grand a year. And probably to just spend... roll into the studio a couple of times a year. All right. I'm, a... <laughs> I'm just going to sound cool. Yes. About Arby's beef. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's uh, we had mentioned earlier, it's a pretty good, well-rounded cast. Yeah, and so quickly, while we're talking about this, one of the things I always like to look up is uh, who else was considered for a particular mm-hmm. role. Um, not a lot that I found in this one, but both Warren Beatty and Kevin Costner declined the role of the president in this movie, and Robin Williams was also considered for it. Warren Beatty could have done it. Warren Beatty would have been great. Warren Beatty would have been great. Robin Williams, it would have been it would have still been a good movie because. He's so good, but it would have been different. Different. Kind of like what we were talking last week with Steve McQueen and Burt Reynolds. Yeah, you know what I realized watching this movie? The, the first time that Dave is up there talking and speaking, Kevin Klein and Robin Williams sound a little bit alike. They kind of look a little bit alike, now that a, you think about it, too. A little kind of bit. With that kind of the yeah. nose and all that. But when he's just standing up there talking, like, in his, 
presidential voice, it's not that much different than Robin Williams speaking in his, you know, dramatic actor voice. Anyway. Yeah, and, and Kevin Costner probably kind of pulled it off, but, I, you know, early 1990s, Kevin, this movie was way too small for Kevin Costner. I mean, this was when he was at his, like, you know, apex of, like, you know, I'm winning Oscars for writing, directing, and producing, mm-hmm. you know, four-hour-long movies right. about, <laughs> you know, period pieces, yes. past and future. Um, <laughs> and then it makes me think, oh, yeah, you know what? There is a Waterworld connection to this movie and a postman. Okay, so let's talk a second about this score. And okay. then sometimes we do this at the end, but it just so since it's fresh in my mind. So the score was done by a guy named James Newton Howard. Right. You hear anything about him? Not much. I did look him up. Um, watching the score, thinking about the music in this. It's like we talk about. It's a good umpire, a good referee. It's there. It's serviceable. It's kind of cheesy 80s. It does have a little bit of presidential style feel, um, but it's not uh, anything that, that you want to drop in the, the, the CD player and listen to. Um, but he's done a ton of stuff. Oh, I mean, listen to this list. And I, I know it's going to be a little bit long, so bear with me. But may, and, th- and this is not fully inclusive either. Right. Um, Major League, and this is movies he's done the, the soundtracks for, the scores for. Major League, Pretty Woman, My Girl, Grand Canyon, another, um, wasn't that a Kevin Klein movie? Was he in Grand I think, I, I think so. Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, Prince of Tides, Glenglary, Glen Ross. Uh, Falling Down, which you remember that movie? Mm-hmm, yes. Yeah, based on the Stephen King book. The Fugitive, Waterworld, here we are. Jackie Brown, The oh, Postman, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, some Batman movies. He just did the, he did all the Hunger Games. He just did Fantastic Beast. And you're like, how does this guy have all this time to do that? But then listen to this, too. And I've never heard of this guy before. He's also been on like studio albums with mm-hmm. singers. He actually was on Ringo Starr's Goodnight Vienna album. He's worked with Elton John, Rod Stewart. Eric Clapton, Chaka Khan, Barbara Streisand, Neil Diamond, Diana Ross. I mean, the list goes on and on. I, and, and I think, you know, you know, Dave's a movie about like two people kind of being the same person. Right. Th- this guy has to have a, <laughs> a second person. There's right. no way this guy can do all this stuff. It's amazing. Those guys are, are amazing. Um, I think people who score a lot of films have this special talent and, and great musicians in general. Like they can just go and jump into – different genres and do their thing. So that that's a pretty amazing career for, for that fella. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, he's still working if he just did fantastic music. Yes, I mean, yeah. he's still out, I think. Right, right. Um, so, and Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. He worked with Shaka Khan. He also worked with Peter Cetera. I mean, oh. you know, so it's like he's just all over the place. <laughs> I mean, he's everywhere. Jody Watley, even. Hey now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I could, I mean, Bob Seger. You know, I'm not a big Bob Seger fan. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, it, yeah, this guy's busy, busy, busy. Mm-hmm. But I personally, for this movie and the score, you mentioned it kind of being kind of that cheesy eighties. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't do, it didn't hurt the movie, but it just also was kind of, I don't know, I, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's kind of, um, when you hear it, you just, it just kind of rings of just sappy, mm-hmm. you know, connecting scenes with, you know. Yeah, there's no underlying theme that you right. are going to hum when you walk out of there, right? No, it's- no, no. Um, though, at one point in the movie, um, they did, I believe they sung um, For You're a Jolly Good Fellow. Uh-huh. Do people still do that? Good question. I, I don't know. When's the last time you heard somebody sing You're a Jolly Good Fellow? They sang it on the Flintstones all the time, but I don't <laughs> remember it other than that. Here's another thing that in that film. Um, there's a scene with um, uh, Frank Langala and, uh, and, and the other communications director – when they're having a discussion, and Langala pours himself a, a whiskey, and uh, he gets a glass of water for the communications director, who promptly drops an Alka-Seltzer in there. Like, have you ever taken an Alka-Seltzer? I, I think I did, like, in 1993, when this movie was <laughs> yeah. made, but I don't think I've done like, it since like, then. Like, like, yeah, when did that cut off? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's it, it, it. There are a lot of things in this movie that you know, didn't hold up. Yeah. Um, whether it's you know the the, the limo that the president mm. uses. I mean, obviously we've updated that now. That now they did have Marine One in the beginning. Yes. I think it's, it looks still the same. And it was funny because the the, the Marine One scene, which kind of opens the movie, mm-hmm. it does. Yes. Um, and this is the real president, you know, not mm-hmm. Dave. He gets out, and the first thing he does is play with his dogs. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not a big dog person. Mm-hmm. So, does that disqualify me from becoming president because I wouldn't have a oh, dog? That's a big thing. Like, you gotta have a dog if you're president. I and think. and, and you a... think any of these presidents really like their dogs, or it's completely like a public image? Thing? I, I I think it's it. Some like them, some don't. But I think a public image. What's more American than having a a, a good dog at your at your heel? And, do, and how many presidents? Because you know, then you think of cats. Which probably there's a lot of people that don't like cats, so probably you know you don't see presidents with cats because it doesn't purvey that same kind of public image, right? But how many presidents do you think are closet cat people that, oh, they, that, they, have, that they have their cat in their White House? <laughs> and the cat never gets to be seen there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, so you know the opening scene with Marine One. There's there's some stuff that doesn't hold up, but some of the stuff about this movie is kind of cool. And you know, in a lot of these DC movies and city movies in general. Um, when people are in and about in the city, um, the timeline, the the direction, the geography doesn't work. But in this one, they filmed it so that all of the routes are actually the it, the way you would really go in New York City. Like when they're not, not New York, but DC. When you're in the car and they're going from this place to that place, it's all just kind of geographically makes sense. It's all close to one another, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. Um, they obviously they did not film in the White House. They did build a set. Um, for the Oval Office, painted it. They had to build the outside facade for a White House mm-hmm. so they could shoot it. That Oval Office set has been used over 25 times for other movies and TV shows. Um, now, the there's a scene late in the movie where um, Dave, as the president, is addressing a joint session of Congress. That was actually filmed in the Virginia State Capitol. Uh, yeah, there. you could. I could actually tell that was not right. the United States Capitol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Um, yeah, and that's so. So the reason he he does that, the reason he has to have that joint session, is because you know where we left off on the kind of where the story was. They they are trying to get the six hundred fifty million, uh, right? Find ways to save that money so they can go back. And so they sit around in the room in front of the cameras and they find a way to work that out. And then you know I mentioned earlier the the Kevin Dunn character, the communications guy, how he has that kind of change of heart. And this is where he because. Up till this point, he's been pretty supportive of the chief of staff, probably because mm-hmm. he's scared to death of him, right? Because he's just such a jerk. But he actually starts more doing following Dave and what Dave's wanting to do, and and, and actually they kind of have a big conflict, the chief of staff and the communications director. And this is when First Lady finally. 100% understands or figures out that Dave's not her husband. And it's funny. She has a pretty good line. She goes up to him and I think she extends her hand and says, Hey, I'm Ellen Mitchell. You know, who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, Dave's busted and he knows it. And he takes um, her down underneath the white house yes. where they have the real president on life support. He's still totally a coma. Right. What kind of fallout shelter bunker is that? Cause that's, crazy that's like dr strangelove business oh yeah well and it's funny because i actually just uh ironically watched a uh documentary on the white house like last week two weeks ago and i think it was truman i think when he rebuilt the white house because it was all falling apart Mm -hmm. then you can actually see pictures where because they completely got it 
Right. Completely go to the White House. And you can actually see pictures where they're building the tunnels uh-huh. to get that go underground and, you know, where they, where, where I guess they keep like presidents that are in a coma. <laughs> I don't know. Just in case. Uh, I wonder if there's any more down there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, so, so now, you know, she knows that her real husband is, for all intents and purposes, brain dead, mm-hmm. not coming back. And she's like, well, you know, I'm really not the first lady anymore. And, and he, she's like, I want out of the White House. So then Dave sneaks her out through this tunnel right. that pops out, you know, or whatever the big lawn is that's um, uh, between the... In the mall, right? Like the, well, it's, or is it's, it the mall or is it just well, like... Well, the, the, the mall is between, um, you know, Washington Monument and uh, this, um, the house, you know, the Congress yeah. building. Uh, this actually came out, there's a big kind of circular yard or, or grassy okay. area that's between Washington Monument and White House. So I think this is where they come out. And then they, uh, they, they, he sneaks her out to get a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and then they get pulled over by the cops. Right. Who at first don't recognize them, but then do recognize them. And then they do this. What, what did they sing? I forget. Oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. From, yeah. yeah the song came out tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah you yeah. know, to kind of trick the cops into, you know, saying that they weren't, re- weren't really the president and the first lady. And the, you just, this whole scene is kind of just building up. You know, she wants to get out of the White House. She's kind of in shock that, you know, Dave's not her real husband, that her real husband's dying. But, of course, we kind of circle this back around to her asking Dave, you know, if you really were to stay in the White House, mm-hmm. what would you do? And Dave's, you know, I, there's lots of things I would do. And so yeah. they decide, okay, we're going to... We're going to do. We're gonna go back and we're going to do it. It's, yeah. it's this Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's, yeah. it's this, you know, circling back to this Frank Capra sort of a uh, trope that we're doing here. Yeah, and, and that's and so they get back and they and, and that's when Dave has another press conference where he actually fires the chief of staff and then announces a full employment program that he wants to launch, and then we have you know I mentioned earlier there's 29 cameos. This the next one is by far my favorite when Oliver Stone is on the Larry King show. Yes, it's far. <laughs> I'd forgotten about it. and I laughed out loud when I was watching it. And, and he totally and you wouldn't think that Oliver Stone would do this. Because he always seems to be such a serious person, but he he talks about there being a big conspiracy theory, right? And he totally makes fun of himself. Yes, yes. You know, which was which was great, good for him. Yes, you know? and of course, Larry King's always great, of course. <laughs> yeah. And there's your third Oscar winner in the film, Oliver Stone. Oh yeah, very good. Three very Oscars good. for Oliver Stone. Yeah, oh excellent. Yeah. All right, so then um, the VP Ben Kingsley, who mm-hmm. we really have not seen much of it in they this send, whole movie, because they, they send him away on a goodwill tour of Africa, right? Just to get him out of, out of the way for a while, right? He finally comes back and he confronts Dave because he thinks Dave's actually the one that tied him to the savings and loan scandal. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, they have a nice little heart-to-heart talk. How did you get into politics? You know, I, you know, he's like, I don't know, he was like a butcher or shoe, like a shoe salesman. Shoe salesman. He's a shoe he was, like, he was Al Bundy. Yeah, I mean, right, imagine right. Al Bundy became VP. That'd <laughs> <laughs> uh, be a pretty fun country. It'd be interesting. Well, um, but uh, you know, and, and, and Dave says, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it. All that kind of stuff. And then at the kind of same time, the chief of staff holds a press conference, not only implicating the vice president, but now also implicating the president. And I actually thought this was actually a really nice kind of plot twist and and kind of funny in a way, too, because I think Dave went to the communications director and said, he's saying that I was involved in it, too. And the communications director was like... Because you were. Because you were. <laughs> yeah. And Dave's like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Dave being the you know the stand-up guy that he is, now he has his joint session. Right. Yeah, in Congress. And he takes full responsibility, says he's going to try to do better. 
apologizes to Ben Kingsley, the vice president, and, and totally exonerates him, says he's clean. And so this is probably, yeah, totally exonerates Ben Kingsley, Ben Kingsley. And this is probably my second favorite cameo. So for some reason, while they're having this joint session in Congress, the chief of staff, Frank Lagala, decides to have a party at his house yes. to watch it. Yep. And, and Ben Stein shows up. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, and it's great because, number one, I'm sitting there going, did Ben Stein even know that he's supporting the bad guy in this movie? <laughs> and then number two, he sits, he sits on the floor at, at crisscross applesauce. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like just not, I would not expect Ben Stein to sit on the floor. No. So, so the, the, the president, Dave, makes all the, these announcements that you just talked about. And then, they, and, and then he implicates the chief of staff. Yes. Saying he was involved. And they flash back to the chief of staff's house. And it's completely empty. Completely gone. <laughs> completely gone. It's like we're just. It was like thirty seconds. It's not even humanly possible for all those people to leave that quickly, right? But uh, then Dave's, you know, he's made his big speech. He's gotten everything out that he wanted to get out, and he uh, he starts to faint. He falls down, and you know, and he kind of real quickly kind of figure out what's going on, and they get him into an ambulance. And sometime in somewhere in the ambulance, they switch the bodies with the real president. So when they show up at the hospital, you have the real president that's you know still stroked out. And uh, Dave goes away back to his you know normal life. And right. I think the president dies a little bit later. President dies a little later, and then we see Dave in his temp agency, but it's now his campaign headquarters yeah. as he's running for city council or something like that. Yeah. After being inspired by the Ben Kingsley story of how he got into politics and right. having all of this, these moments, right? And then and that's where this, the scene that we talked about earlier, where Sigourney Weaver, the first lady, shows up at the temp agency, and they go into his office, and they finally have their their first kiss that everybody's been no one was going to. It's happen. the worst. Kiss in the history of cinema. Just watch this. It is sloppy, horrible badness. Just watch it. It's not good. Well, and it's another one of those kind of cliches, too, that you see in movies all the time because they're in the office. He has, you know, the the shades that are open. And, of course, everybody in the office is watching him kiss, so he has to draw the blinds. Right. And then... And and, then... And then Big Rames steps in front of that (laughs) door and, like, what's he doing there? (laughs) Yeah. You're you're a Secret Service person, and now you're, like, you know, you know, protecting the guy running for city council. And and that's how, and that's pretty much how the movie wraps up. Yeah, that's, that's the film. Um, one thing I thought about as I was watching this uh, is imagine how different this movie would have been were it made 10 years earlier. Because the geopolitics of 1993 were the Soviet Union has fallen. There's no Cold War. Uh, we have not gotten into the rise of terrorism. There's nothing international, and at no point in this film do they talk about any other country except for when Ben Kingsley comes back with some African uh, trinkets that, that yeah. are given to the president. I mean, if, if this movie were made in 1983, I'm sure that Dave would have like uh, signed some uh, nuclear disarmament deal and made yeah. the world a safer place. But that, that was an interesting thing to me to just kind of think about that in terms of like where it stacked up with where we were uh, as a country and then fitting into the whole... Well, and if, you know, and if you think too, like when this came out, you know, it, it was probably being, you know, obviously if it came out in 93, it was being filmed in at least 92. Right. And so that was kind of the end of George H's presidency. Correct. So, you know, tribute to George H. Yes. From the, uh, from the yeah, yeah. So we, podcast. Yeah, right. So we um, got into this. This We're a month after the 2018 midterm elections and uh, George H.W. Bush has just passed away um, as we're recording this. So, um, you know, we've lost this uh, great American patriot. Um, and I do think that Dave was patterned a little bit after George H.W. Bush. If you look at him and you look a little bit at how his, his uh, sort of speech patterns and developments and things like that, I think he's a little bit like George Bush. Yep. But 
on the politics side, it's totally in that end of George H.W. Bush's presidency, uh, in the early Clinton presidency, and we've gone from global business to it's the economy, stupid. And right. that's what we're looking at in yeah. terms of like what he's doing with his, his policy. No, and, and if you think about it, there's kind of, you know, eight or nine years from early 90s up until really 9-11, 2001, there really wasn't a lot going on. No. You know, it was it was like a very peaceful time. Mm-hmm. The economy was growing good. Jobs were good. You know, I mean, there were still problems. There's always going to be problems in a, in, a, in, a, in a country our size. But, you know, compared to other eras and other times in the history of our country, it was actually a rather peaceful, nice time. And I think this movie, by luck, just happened to fall in during that. And yeah. so that, that's probably kind of why it was received well, because they didn't really have to get political Correct. in this movie. I mean, who doesn't support homeless kids? Right. You who know? doesn't want jobs for everybody? <laughs> right, exactly. So they were able to tell this kind of political story, and they were able to kind of show kind of some different dynamics with... You know, you had, you know, the crudgy, you know, chief of staff that doesn't want to pay for anything. And, you know, even the original president that was kind of a jerk and was more concerned about his public image. But then Dave coming in and wanting to do social programs. But none of those are real polarizing topics. Right. uh, And and especially then. Uh, So I think it fit well in that time frame. I think if you tried to remake it now, I think it would be challenging. It would be challenging on a lot of levels. It would be challenging, first of all, the politics. We're such a divided country in terms of politics, and we're so tribal in what we believe, and and there's so much animosity. That'd be a real problem. Also, in 2018, in the age of, like you said, cameras, press, internet, um, you know, everybody's shooting a video of, of this and that and the other, it wouldn't take long. It just wouldn't work. Right. And there's the, you know, the, the, the blatant, slap in the face of the Constitution about all of this. So, yeah. you know, there's that. There's that part, too. The, the Constitution part. Yeah. Yeah. So, so movie overall, um, both of us admitted we had not seen it in 20 years. Right. 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. So, what what did, what, what's, what's your kind of, you know, you know, overall, how would you grade it? I'd give it a, you know, a low B. I mean, it's, I, I think it's, it's good. It, it, here's the thing. I, if you want some good, you know, just, Entertainment value, you're going to have to suspend some disbelief, but it is entertaining. I would recommend this movie uh, for a date night. It's mm-hmm. a good one. You can sit down with your lady and watch this, and you'll both be entertained. If you've got kids that are 11, 12, it's, a, it, it's perfectly good for that, and, and I think it's entertaining to them. And I think you can talk about government, and you can get into some of the uh, America stuff. Um, so from that standpoint, I think it holds up pretty well from that, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm at a B minus. Yeah, and I might, I, you know, depending on my mood, could even take it down to a C plus. I just, I, I, I don't think it. I, I, I thought the acting was fine, the story was fine. I did enjoy watching it. You know, I, I, I it just felt a little dated to me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it just kind of unbelievable and silly, but not silly in a. Oh, that's like like Cannibal Run last week which right, was right. a stupid movie, but like fun, enjoyable, stupid. Where this, like, it was almost it, it was almost trying to hit on too many. You know, things. It wanted to be hey, like a little romantic. It wanted to be funny. It wanted to be, you know, politically powerful. I, I think they tried to do a little too much with it. Uh, and, and this is an important question and something we always want to discuss. You know, I mentioned earlier that there were 29 different cameos right. of people playing themselves. Um, 
you think if they all banded together that they could beat up Max Cady? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I mean, think so. We're talking so. Tip O'Neill. Yeah, no. they do have Arnold. They do have Arnold. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, so so I think the answer is I don't think there's anybody in this movie that takes Max Cady, but I think the one that comes closest is not Ving Rhames, but Ving Rhames as Marcellus Wallace in, in Pulp. Like you give me Marcellus Wallace versus. Katie, then we can talk. But uh, I don't know. I, Mar- Mar- Marcellus got uh, he got handled a little bit by the by the gimp. He did, but he had the dude. I, I'm <laughs> just going to tell you, Marcellus's pipe and chain guys are going to be better than the pipe and chain guys <laughs> that uh, Nolte sent it. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely true. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think you can hire Vince Vega for like three thousand dollars. No, 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 yeah. no, no. So I want to. I want to circle back to one thing, and this is kind of a tangent uh, sort of thing. But you know, I, I said that I thought this movie was entertaining. And um, just you can sit down for 95 minutes and watch it and be entertained. So I went back, and this was the the 17th highest grossing film in 1993. So I looked at that. and It only made $63 Yeah, it wasn't a ton of money. Um, So I'm going to read you the top 20 from 93, and then I'm going to give you the top 20 from 2017. Okay. 93, Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Fugitive, The Firm, Sleepless in Seattle, Indecent Proposal. That movie was bad. In the Line of Fire, The Pelican Brief, uh, two for you, Grisham, shout out, <laughs> Schindler's List, Cliffhanger, Free Willy, Philadelphia, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Groundhog Day, Grumpy Old Men, Cool Runnings, Dave, Rising Sun, Demolition Man, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, uh, <laughs> and number 21 is Tombstone, because t- Tombstone's pretty good. Tombstone might be one of, like, one of the better movies on there. Right, they, but, they, they, but they did two, they did two white movies at the same right. time. Right, but all of those, like, there's a ton of stuff on there. That it, it's very diverse. You can watch a lot of stuff, and it's a lot of people that are truly acting. Like, they're doing their thing. Like, it, it yeah. may not be a good movie, but it's it's... You know, some of it's entertaining, some of it's garbage, but you're getting good actors doing good roles. In in original stories. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Now, here's 2017. Star Wars The Last Jedi, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Beauty and the Beast, Despicable Me 3, Fast and Furious 8, Transformers The Last Knight, Pirates of the Caribbean, Justice League, Spider-Man Homecoming, War for Planet of the Apes, Thor Ragnarok, Wonder Woman, Cars 3, Logan... Dunkirk, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Kong Skull Island, Fifty Shades Darker, Coco, and Lego Movie Ninjago. So pretty much Dunkirk's the only like real original movie. So, I'm not saying that those are bad movies, but no, they're but all... There are, there are six superhero movies, ten sequels, two reboots, and two originals. The two originals are Dunkirk and Coco, and that's it. Oh, was Coco the cartoon one? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I'm sure right. And, and and the superhero movies are original. I don't want to take anything away from that, but it, it's a totally different era that we're in now in terms of of what's being produced uh, that people are going to see. So you know, you know, you can look at that a couple different ways, right? So if you look at it from a Hollywood production standpoint, obviously the goal of making a movie is to make money. Correct. Okay. So are they making? Movies that people want to see, or and I and I know other people have had this debate. This isn't an original, you know, point I'm making right here. Or is Hollywood dictating what people should see because it's easier to tell the same story over and over? Mm-hmm. And with all the CGI and all that type of stuff, you know, they can build a movie. You know, if compared to CGI now, compared to even probably five or ten years ago, so different, so different. And, know, and I think that. Uh, Studio consolidations has been a big thing. Like the fact that so many studios are buying up other ones and you have small, fewer 
players just on a big stage, right? Well, but also I think I think this would be interesting too, and and maybe we could do this on another show. Um, if you took the top twenty TV shows, yeah, from nineteen ninety three versus the top twenty TV shows now, I think you would see a huge improvement. Uh huh. In TV because back then it was you know cops, lawyers, doctors, right? Dramas. And family sitcoms. Right. And and now you've got all these platforms, Netflix shows, like you mentioned Ozark earlier. Yeah. HBO stuff is awesome. Showtime stuff is awesome. Um, and we all have access to that in a, a greater uh, level than we used to. Yeah, so it's it's almost it's almost kind of like the role of the channel, if you will, mm-hmm. um, or, or the platform for, you know, let's just, I don't know, film in general, whether it's TV, mm-hmm. movie, whatnot. It's just dramatically changed. Right. It's, right. you know, the, the to go to the theater – is just kind of more these kind of the movies you kind of listed the the reboots and the sequels and all that kind of stuff. But if you really like want to watch something that has maybe a little bit more um, entertainment value in the sense of not not I mean those movies are obviously entertaining people wouldn't be watching them but something that's more deep maybe yeah, that's the yeah. right way to say it um, you, you know the theater is not the platform for that anymore. No, not so much. And I think that uh, we can talk about, like I said, I would love to do a podcast later um, where we kind of get into some more of this stuff. Um, but there's so much good stuff out there by so many different people and so many uh, different diverse voices have a platform now, which I think is great. I mean, that's why we're doing this. We we have the opportunity to have a platform to talk about what we want to talk yeah. about. And, you know, I think that sometimes there's great stuff. You know, last year... None of those movies that we just read off were nominated for an Oscar except for Dunkirk, which I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. But you had some great stuff in the Oscar field like Lady Bird and like uh, Get Out that were, you know, female-driven or, or uh, minority-driven. And I think sometimes that's all out there for, for all of us to look at if we want to. But I think there are people who don't want to do that and who just want to go watch. Well, it's escapism. Yes, escape. For a lot that's of people, right. it's escapism. And just that, that form, and, and, you know, the theaters are so much different now, too, in the sense that, you know, you go in, you got the reclining chair, you take your blanket, you lay down. It's, you know, it's it's a completely different experience. And you know what? That's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. It's, you can apply that to pretty much anything. You know, music uh, is like that. You know, the, the platforms for music are completely different than they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And it, it, it's neither good nor bad. It's just evolution of yes. of how people spend their, right. you know, Their entertainment dollar and, and what, where they go. So, yeah. That's a, that's a tangent. That's something that I kind of um, discovered as I was doing research for this, and I found it kind of interesting. All right. So so then the, the real question at the, end, at the end of all these shows, and, well, we have several of them. They kind of are mainstream now. Um, when would you want to watch this again? I'm not going to seek it out and sit down and watch it again. If uh, somebody said, I, you know, if, if the kids said, let's watch this, or friends said, I want to watch this, um, the – my girlfriend said, let's watch Dave. I'd watch it. I'd totally watch it. It's entertaining. I can sit there for 90 minutes. Um, I might not be dialed in. I might pick up my phone and check some scores or something. But it's it's fine. I'll watch it. I, I would watch it again. At the same time, if I go 10 years and don't see it again, I'm all right. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm in the exact same boat. I'm not going to seek it out. Um, I'm not going to, you know, admonish it or avoid it. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna. If somebody says, "Hey, you want to watch this movie?" I'm gonna go. No. And there are certain movies that I would be like, "No, I'm not watching that." Yeah. Because it's that bad. Indecent so proposal. I'm looking at you. <laughs> I was thinking Sister Act too myself, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, it's it's not anything I'm going to seek out. If I don't see it again the rest of my life, I don't think my life's going to be any worse because of it. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that 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 brings us to the the most important question uh, of all. Yeah. Is this movie still good? It's still good. It's not great. It was never great. It's yeah. still good. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it, it, it's you know, it's kind of that you know, uh, you know, kind of middle of the road kind of. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a, what, what, like the journeyman baseball player, right? That, you right. Know. Yeah, utility infield and <laughs> plays twelve seasons, <laughs> hit for two fifty eight, and yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he, he walks away with a couple of baseball cards. That's right. And maybe a home run ball. That's right. But you know, nobody's going to remember who he is in mm-hmm. you know, five years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of put it in that category. Except that when you mention it, they're going to be like, "Oh yeah," because I've said I this. To, that guy. Yeah, I remember, Dave. That was really good. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. but but go watch it yourself and and, and send us uh, send something through our Twitter account, or our Facebook account, and let us know what you think. Because, yeah, because maybe we're off on this one because this might be probably our, you know, I think we had some mixed reviews on Cannonball Run or some, but I think this was maybe kind of our first one where it was like, mm, yeah, I don't know if I need to see this one again. Correct. Yeah, I so, agree with that. So if you disagree, let us know. Absolutely. Um. All right. You got anything else? No, I'm good. All right, I'm good too. So thanks again for listening. Um, check us out. Hit us up, like Nate said, Twitter. Uh, Facebook, um, be watching for us on Instagram, and uh, we will see you guys soon for another great movie. This has been a No Land in Sight podcast production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.